Welcome to Culture Crux. So good to have you here as we are well into season two with episode two here. Um, I have a very special guest in studio with me today. Rhett, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to sit down with me and have a little conversation. Oh, yeah, of course. My pleasure. It's kind of, it's kind of exciting. I don't get to be on a podcast very, very often. So. so what is it that you do? I am a reporter for East Idaho News in the Idaho Falls area. So I cover a lot of different things, but one of the one of the f- most rewarding things that I get to do is cover a lot of faith-related news. And you and I have crossed paths over the years as I've as I've covered different faith things. Yeah. So what what sparked that portion of uh, East Idaho News was that something that was going on before you got there, or did you bring that to it? You know, we would get a lot of questions from viewers and readers, and they would say things like, "Oh, you guys are just." LDS, you only cover LDS things, you know, and we, and those emails and messages would continue to come. And, you know, our initial reaction was, well, the majority of the population in this area is LDS. However, we got to thinking about that and thought, you know, yeah, there are other Christian churches in the area. Why don't we do like something to show people that we're not just about LDS. We, you know, we'll cover any, any type of news. And so, as part of that, I started a series a few years ago. It was a podcast series, like what you have here, where I would uh, I reached out to you know different denominations, and I would sit down with the pastors and members of those churches, and I would get to know them, what they believe, and the whole idea behind it was, you know, let's just explore how we're all just very similar. We might we might have different beliefs here and there, but overall, we're all just we're all searching for the same thing. And for those of uh, our listeners who don't know, LDS means Latter Day Saint, and the that's right. The current correct um, way to address members of your church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And at one point it was Mormon. Can you explain why that changed? I think um, over the years we've been called Mormons, and it's because we believe in the Book of Mormon. You know, so it's kind of more or less a nickname. And people over the years have identified us as that. But there's been a shift in recent years where we've emphasized more the name of the church because we want we don't want people we don't want to give the impression that we don't believe in Jesus because we do. We believe in Jesus Christ, we worship Jesus Christ, and I think sometimes that might get misinterpreted a bit if we're referred to as Mormons. So I guess there's been a shift in recent years to kind of focus more on the name of the church that that has the name of Jesus Christ in it to signify that we we do believe in Jesus Christ. Got it. Now, a lot of the questions I ask are for clarity and understanding for listeners who maybe aren't even familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So would you say that the Book of Mormon itself would be an object of worship for you? I consider the Book of Mormon a book of Scripture, just like the Bible. So in my in my beliefs, the Book of Mormon is is a companion to the Bible, and I'll read them side by side. Okay. So I guess in that aspect, yeah, it is part of how I worship, but I wouldn't say I like worship the Book of I don't worship the Book of Mormon, but it is I deem it as scripture. And then again, this is a question for clarity. Would you say now I've met quite a few people from from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and there is a, a bit of a breadth of difference in terms of some of the nuanced beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about this at one point. I had a friend from Colorado uh, who had served a mission in Russia, and then he became a manager of a Starbucks. So he obviously indulged in coffee, while other members of your faith do not do 
you know, anything having to do with coffee or tea. Or, right, right. Um, so you personally, and I, I say this to uh, people that I run across, you know, like missionaries who come uh-huh. to the door, uh, LDS missionaries who come to the door. Um, I'm not going to tell you what you believe. I'm going to ask you what you believe. Right. And um, would you say that Joseph Smith holds a position of almost deity or he would be an object of worship for you? Uh, not worship. I I believe Joseph Smith to be a prophet of God, a man who was called with a specific purpose, specific mission. I, I Joseph Smith is not someone that I worship, though. Okay. So how much um, typically for most young adults in your faith, they go through what's called seminary, and that takes place in high school, right? Correct, yeah. Um, here in this area, we have something called release time where the students are able to step away from high school to go spend a bit of time in the seminary. Mm-hmm. Uh, other places in the country where they don't have that, they go before school hours or after school hours. Is... That's right, yeah. So please lay this out for me if I, if I don't have this correct. There's four years. One is um, New Testament. One is Old Testament. One is Book of Mormon. And is the other year Doctrine and Covenants? Or Pearl of Great Price? So there's both. There's Doctrine and Covenants, and there's Pearl of Great Price. And Doctrine and Covenants is a collection of revelations that were given to Joseph Smith and others in the early years of the church, so like early 1800s. And then the Pearl of Great Price is a translation of – it's it's parts of – it's parts of the first part of the Bible that goes into more in-depth – about some of the things that were not included in the Bible. Okay. So once a young adult completes the four years of LDS seminary, then are they in essence ready to choose whether or not to follow the path of going on a mission, or are they chosen for that? How does that work? Um, I would say in in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, young men are highly encouraged to serve a mission. It's, um, I don't know, I guess a lack of a better word, it's to some degree, it's a rite of passage. You know, it's it's something you kind of look at as this is your chance to grow and become a man a little bit and also go out into the world and, and follow the, the command that Jesus gives in the Bible to go out and preach the gospel. Um, I, but it, when all is said and done, it is ultimately that individual's choice to do so. I mean, they're not forced to go. And I, I've known many people who have chosen not to go on a mission, and, and you know, and that's and that that's fine. So, is there a difference in terms of, um, I guess I, I don't know how to word it. Is there a difference in terms of your relationship with, and, and you refer to God as Heavenly Father, correct? Yep. Okay. So, is there a difference in the way it impacts your relationship with Heavenly Father, whether or not you serve a mission? I would say there was I mean I think for me it was a very good thing because it taught me to you know I had to be on my own and I had no contact with my family for 2 years and I had to really you know I was doing this full time every day 24/7 so I had to really ask myself do I really believe this you know and so I think for me it it increased my faith and strengthened my relationship with Jesus and with my Heavenly Father. And I think, for me, definitely, yeah. But in terms of the way the church at large views it, would you say that there is any kind of benefit, aside from personal spiritual growth and your relationship with with God, is there any other benefit to serving a mission? Meaning, so 
and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but when I when I speak with some folks and I ask, you know, if you were to die right now, would you be in, in the celestial kingdom, which is the highest heaven in your beliefs? Um, sometimes they'll take a pause and they'll say, well, I haven't been sealed in the temple. I haven't done this. And they list a few things. Does serving a mission play into that at all in terms of achievements for... For the next life? Correct. Um, no. Okay. No. I did not know that. Thank you. Yeah. So what did the process look like for you deciding to go serve a mission? Was that something you wanted to do as a young kid? Is it something that kind of came to you as a young adult? How did that happen? Um, so I grew up in the in the LDS church, and, you know, you're, you're kind of taught that. It's kind of ingrained in, in the culture. You know, you're taught from when you're just a young boy. You know, we have a song that we sing in primary. That's the class that the little children go to. It's Sunday school. And we have a song that we sing called I Hope They Call Me on a Mission. You know, and it goes on from there. So you're kind of you're kind of taught that that's what that's what the prophet wants you to do um, as a little kid when you get old enough. And so I'd been taught that my whole life, and I'd always planned to go. I mean, I didn't ever I didn't ever think that that wasn't an option. But when that when that time came, it was a difficult decision because you know I'd never been anywhere on my own before. I'd never had I'd never had to live on my own. I'd never lived outside of Idaho. And, you know, I knew that I wouldn't be seeing my family for two years, and it was a very hard decision. Like, I, it was, I struggled with homesickness and, and those kind of things, but uh, ultimately, you know, like we've already talked about, there was so much personal growth that came from that, and my faith increased massively, and, you know, it was, it was a good decision for me. What does that process look like in, for you in terms of... Um the time you decide to go versus once you find out where you're going. I've seen on social media, several neighbors and friends will say, oh, we found out today my daughter's going to Brazil or, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. So if you do decide to go, you have, there's, there's these, there's this paperwork that you fill out and you send it to our church headquarters, which is in Salt Lake. And the first presidency, which is the, the, the top leadership of the entire church, which consists of the prophet and his two counselors. So a person fills out these papers and sends them to the first presidency, and they will get a letter back from them, assigning them somewhere in the world to go serve this mission. And there, there is a lot of, I guess, culturally a lot of hype around that because you know everyone wants to know, oh, where are you going? Where's where's the Lord going to call you? And sometimes it's some families have the tradition of they'll invite friends over as they read their mission call and find out where they're going, and it you know it's kind of a party, and there's a lot of hype around it. Because it is, you know, it's it's an exciting thing, you know. You're you're entering into on, on to, you know, to a large degree, it's it's a bit of an adventure. You know, you could be called to neighboring Utah, or you could be called to the other side of the world in Australia or some, you know, third world country. It's com it's a completely unknown, and so there's a lot of anticipation of that. Is there any prestige or honor given, you know, that you you end up in a third world country versus you know Texas? Um, well, I mean, I, I think culturally people are always like, yeah, they, they want to, like, if you get called to some obscure place, they're like, ooh, wow, you know, then there's a degree of, wow, I was not expecting that type of thing. Whereas Texas, that's exciting too, but, uh, we, well, we know where Texas is kind, of thing, kind of thing, you know. <laughs> so I have a question, just a, a side, side question, because um, you've mentioned him a couple times. You mentioned the prophet. He is the highest ranking position in your church. Mm -hmm. So please explain to me what the position of the prophet of your church does. Does he reveal new revelations of God today? 
So we believe the prophet is the mouthpiece for God. God speaks to him, and he makes known the will of God to the entire body of the church collectively. Um, His job is to primarily testify of Jesus Christ, but we also consider the prophet to be a seer and a revelator, which means he can um, prophesy of things to come or reveal, reveal things that previously were unknown. But side by side with that, we don't rely solely upon what the prophet says. We also believe in a principle called personal revelation, meaning that every single person can pray to God and get their own answers. And then you check your own answers with the revealed word of God that's been given through the prophet and scripture. And if your personal, you know, what you feel is a personal answer from God jives with all of those things, then, you know, we can, I guess, discern for ourselves whether the thing that we believe to be an answer is from God or not. So what would happen if the prophet, and again, I'm not meaning to speak in a disrespectful manner in any way, I'm just genuinely asking. So what would happen if the prophet, and how often, sorry, how often does that position change in the church? That's, they usually have that position until they die. And then when they die, someone else is called and put in that place. What typical age does someone start being the prophet? Oh man, that varies. Our current prophet is 98 years old and he was called to be the prophet in, it was four or five years ago. So he's been prophet about five years. So he happened to be called to be the prophet late in life, but he served as an apostle for about 25, 30 years before that. Has anyone ever been called from a very young age to step into that and have just decades of service? Um, So underneath the prophet and his counselors, we have what's called the Quorum of the Twelve, and it's the Twelve Apostles, as, as, as taught in the Bible when Jesus called his Twelve Apostles. So men are sometimes called to be apostles at a young age. Um, one of the man who was prophet before our current prophet, his name was Thomas S. Monson, and he was called to be an apostle when he was 36 years old. And he, so he, at the age of 36, he served as an apostle until he was called to be a prophet when he was in his 80s or 90s. So ultimately, his lifetime, he had a lifetime of service. Um, people who are called to be the prophet are typically, and I don't know that this is necessarily how it I mean, it's not a doctrine or anything. It just kind of ends up how it is, is that people who are called to be prophets are usually older men. So what would someone who gets called into that position, have they had kind of a trend people can see? This person is speaking prophetically. They're speaking about things that eventually happen or they're revealing truths. My opinion is this guy's going to end up being the prophet, or or is it just in the moment when the current prophet passes away, they start looking around and trying to figure out who will step in? How does that work? Yeah, so how it's set up is in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, there are there's a senior ranking. So the person who's been an apostle the longest is the most senior apostle. And we have a, a doctrine or a belief in our church that when the prophet dies— um, the most senior ranking member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles then becomes the next prophet. So whoever is, whoever's been the apostle the longest typically becomes the next prophet. So someone who speaks on behalf of God for the global church in, in your belief system, do you look at this person still as a sinful, flawed human, or have they taken on a new, a new identity in a sense? There is a sense of... Um, 
we're taught that every person is flawed and imperfect. We're, we're all sinners, and even the prophets and the apostles are. But as members of the church, I don't know, I, we kind of hold them to a little bit higher standard, I guess. We don't worship them. We don't consider them gods, but like, you know, as I said, we, we consider them to be the spokesman for God. And so I guess there is a higher degree of we place a lot of importance on their words, if that makes sense. Yeah. Even though we know that they are just as flawed and sinful as, any, as anyone. So what would happen if they were to speak in a way that conflicted with Scripture? And has that ever happened in the history of your church? Um, uh, well, I'm trying to think of a specific example. For example, let's say we look at the history of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. And I'm talking about I'm right. talking about the 66 canonized books of Scripture. I'm not talking about any other documents at this moment. Right. Um, and then a person who claims, and I'm just saying in general, a person who claims to be a prophet, or people look at that person as a prophet, and they speak in a way that does not align with God's word. Scripture. Mm-hmm. How would you deal with that, and has it been dealt with? So, like, um, as in, as in, hey, God changed His mind. Right, right. Well, let me see if I can explain this. Um, and forgive me, like I'm not, um, not the best with words here. But I put you in the hot seat, today, Rhett. <laughs> so, we definitely believe the Bible and the Book of Mormon, and we consider them Scripture. However. One of the things that we believe is that the Bible, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. So in other words, we believe that in the translation of the Bible over the years, there were mistakes made. And so that is the reason that we need a prophet to clarify certain teachings or doctrines. Um, typically, we, I guess, to answer your question, the bottom line is we would probably place more emphasis on the words of the living prophet than we would the written word because we believe that we believe in that principle of god speaks today he gives revelation today and god's words that he speaks now through his living prophet are more relevant than what's in the scriptures but that's not to downgrade the scriptures by any means because we do hold up the scriptures and we we do read them and place importance on them but if having to choose between the two we would probably um listen to the words of the living prophet over what's written in the scriptures all right so let's jump back in time a little bit to when you began to serve your mission or from the point where you received your letter where did your letter say you were being sent uh to the st louis missouri mission okay Going from southeast Idaho, mm-hmm. so the land of no humidity to massive humidity. Right. Okay. I did my basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia, and I learned what humidity was. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, What era did you serve your mission? This was I started in November of two thousand four, and I came home in November of two thousand six. Okay. All right. Um, so. Let's look back to your experience on the mission field. Did you ever have any negative experiences with people who claim to be Christian? And what I mean by negative is guns pulled on you, knives pulled on you, people screaming at you, telling you're in a cult, telling you you're going to hell, things like that. Anything in that ballpark? I mean, I had negative experiences constantly. I had never had a gun pulled on me or anything like that. I mean, I didn't, I was never in any, any danger of any kind. 
But yes, I mean, I, my whole my whole mission experience was interacting with people who hated quote unquote the Mormons. They now, thought we were cult that, that were we were evil that we were misled. Was that people in general or people who claimed to be Christian? Uh, it was usually people who were Christians. Now, how did that affect you as a person? Not take take even religion aside. How did that affect you as a person when, let's say, I'm I'm claiming to be a Christian and I uh-huh. spew venom at you? Yeah. How does that make you feel? Frustrated. It's frustrating to me. Okay. Did you ever have a, a second encounter with that same person, any of those people, or was it always just a one-time thing where they this is this is how they presented themselves to you in that moment, and then you never saw them again, or did you ever have repeated encounters with anybody? Um, there was one one person that we had multiple encounters with that I can recall off the top of my head, but most of them were just one-time encounters. And the person we had repeated encounters with happened to be a youth pastor at a church, which surprised me. And it was the same category of negativity. Oh, no, no, no. Well, I guess it was initially, and then um, he actually took a minute to kind of just listen to us and... I guess more more than anything, he just became curious, and so he wanted to have conversations with us again, not to convert or anything. He was just, whatever we were telling him piqued his curiosity, and so he invited us back to, to come and talk to him. Now, this probably sounds like a stupid question, but let's say you come across me, and you're on your mission, uh-huh. and I start telling you, you're in a cult, you're going to hell, you know, that kind of stuff, and then I'm like, hey, do you want to hear my story that's going to help you be redeemed? I mean, how do you how do you feel just on a, on a visceral human level? Um, well, I, I, I my perspective on that is a little different now that I'm older. See, when you're not, <clears throat> you you send these eighteen, nineteen year old men out into the world, and they're naive. You know, I mean, there's no doubt about it. They're naive. They don't. There's a lot that we don't understand, and we haven't grown up yet, and. So there, I guess you go into it with that perspective and you got this innocent approach. And so if when I was 19 years old and people would say that to me, that didn't deter me at all. But if I were to do that now, it'd be a complete turnoff. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to waste my time. So I guess it's the, uh, the fact that I was so young and inexperienced and naive, it, it didn't really deter me at all at that time. Well, as a very young man, probably thinking I was just being funny, I have to admit that there were probably a couple times where I yelled a couple things at LDS missionaries, because you can tell with the name tag and the way they're dressed, and as well, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh-huh. You, you know the way they're dressed and how they're going house to house. Right. And I carry that shame and guilt with me, even it was decades ago. You mm-hmm. know, um, it. The irony is... Hey, let me tell you why I think you're an idiot and let me embarrass and shame and mock you. And now let me tell you why I have something that's wonderful because I love you. It mm-hmm. it just it, Yeah, there's a lack of maturity <laughs> in people who who spew that kind of um venom towards other human beings and all we believe that all humans are made in the image of God. Yeah. And, well, and you know, I it's kind of funny. You know, I think I think about that all the time because I will you know, people are spewing that hatred, and then I go into my tirade about, hey, we have a message of peace and happiness. I mean, it, it's kind of comical when you look back on it. They're sitting here telling me all these hateful things, and then I just go into my message of peace and happiness and hope through Jesus Christ and all that stuff. And 
I don't know. There, I guess, yeah, there's a degree of, of humor when you look back on it. So you're, you're on the mission field. You come to my door. What is it you say to me when I open my door? Uh, we had various door approaches. Um, but a common thing I remember saying is, hi, we're missionaries, and we have a message about how God has called a prophet on the earth today. That was a common thing that we'd start with. Sometimes we would begin with, um, hey, we have a message about the purpose of life and why you're here, and we'd love to share that with you. So we kind of would vary these different door approaches that we had. I've never heard a variant, and I, I'm, I'm really interested by that because, at least maybe coincidentally, every time uh, an LDS missionary has come to my door, it's always, hey, I'm from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I'd like to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. And that's that's been the opener. Oh, really? For some reason, huh. um, I, I would be intrigued if if well, I mean, who knows? They they don't come to my door as frequently as um, <laughs> as they used to. As they used to, <laughs> yeah. So, is there a blacklist? Is there a blacklist of some, you know, of like things you can say or no, can't no, say? no? Don't go back to that house. That guy's a pastor or or whatever. I mean, um, no, but we are taught that you know. If uh, I guess we kind of get if this person if we feel like this person is genuinely interested, then we will make repeated attempts. But if we feel like this person is just trying to argue or debate with us, um, we'd probably be more productive doing something else. However, I have to admit, I kind of looked when I was on my mission. I kind of looked forward to just the chance to talk to somebody, even if it was just a debate, because we would knock doors all day long, hmm. and I got so tired of that knocking one door after the other and getting one rejection after another. And it was nice just to talk to somebody, even if it was just to have a debate. Hmm. So sometimes, depending on what part of the world you're in, it's nice to just have a conversation with somebody, whatever the nature of that is. Yeah. So if you came to my door, this is what I would say to you. And this is – so when I first moved to southeast Idaho from Los Angeles – I understood that the population here was something like 75% LDS, somewhere in that ballpark. Mm -hmm. So I figured, again, having that understanding that this is a belief system that stands in contrast to the 66 books of Scripture that I, I look to as God's revealed word. Mm -hmm. It's us versus them. I'm going to be there in enemy territory in a sense. Right. That's the way I viewed it. Now, I didn't come here spewing venom and hatred at anyone by any means, but I did have that mentality with my guard up. And where I've come to at this point is if you came to my door sharing that there's a prophet or you've got the gospel or anything like that, one of the first things I do is I say, hey, look, I'm a believer in Christ Jesus. And on behalf of anyone else who's claimed to be a Christian who has cussed you out, told you you're in a cult, told you you're going to hell, told you that you are, are an atrocity to any kind of religious system, pull the knife on you, pull the gun on you, try to hit you with their car. I apologize because that is not how a believer in Christ Jesus is called to interact with the rest of the world. Mm. Jesus said you'll know them by their love. Yeah, You'll know them by their fruits. And the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of a person who has the Spirit of God living in them. Mm-hmm. If you're spewing venom, you have to ask yourself, what kind of fruit is that? And what kind of seed has been planted in your heart that's taken root and is growing to have that kind of fruit? Mm -hmm. 
Well, you know, I appreciate that. I um, that is that has that has always been something where I have said, okay, look, I if you don't if you don't believe it, it's fine. But what harm is it going to do just to listen, just to learn about it? You know, I mean, I'm not trying to jam it down your throat by any means, but like I do remember having those thoughts as a missionary or even just as a member of the church, thinking, why can't we just have a conversation? You know, I mean, it's not no one's going to die. I mean, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna become this evil person just by having a conversation with me. Well, another question I've asked people is, how many times have you won some someone over by belittling them? How many times have you won someone over by shaming them, cussing them out? Right. right. At the end, boy, you shamed me really good. You know, I I think I'd like to look into what you're selling there. Yeah. You know, it just it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We're supposed to be beacons of light. We're supposed to be salt in the world, and salt adds enhances flavor. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that enhances flavor or sheds light on something by spewing venom and hatred. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't open doors. You know, you're talking about a door being open to have a conversation. Well, metaphorically, the door's been shut when someone treats you like that. Let's say that, yeah. let's say that you're coming up to my house, and I have some kind of information that is going to change your eternal destiny. And that is the, the, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus shrouded with grace. It's a gospel of grace. How am I going to even allow you to hear that if I'm shutting your ears by cutting you off, insulting you, and being rude? It just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. So that's the first half of uh, my sit-down conversation with Rhett. And um, I don't know if you heard it, but I wanted to highlight it for our listeners. One of the points that, that Rhett brought up is they value the spoken word of their current prophet over the written word of Scripture. And we, as believers in Christ Jesus, look to Scripture as the inspired word of God. That is our plumb line for truth. I look at Acts seventeen eleven. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You see, the apostle Paul, who met Jesus and was blinded and his life was flipped upside down by the power of the gospel, the people who heard him speak and teach examined scripture to see if what he said was true. But what Rhett shared is they do not examine the scripture to see if what the spoken word of the prophet is true. Rather, they listen to the spoken word over the written word. That's a danger zone, not just for believers, but anybody. If someone claims to be a prophet of God, examine the scripture to see if what they say lines up with the written inspired word of God. We'll see you next time for the second part of the interview.